welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Abel. The Lord is here to release his peace into your life. But his peace is not just like that English word. His peace is the shalom of God. It is deep. It is centered on him. God's peace comes with freedom. A freedom from sickness. A freedom from anxiety. A freedom from fear. A freedom from shame. A freedom from feeling unacceptable. Because His peace comes with the reassurance of Elohim, the Creator God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, loves you. He likes you. He enjoys you. In fact, He enjoys you so much. Yes, you. He enjoys you so much that when He's with you and when you're with Him, which is all the time, He's dancing and singing for joy to be in your presence. He finds you so delightful. You are so precious to Him. If you were the only one in an entire field of humanity, God would still give up everything to buy that whole field to find the treasure hidden in that field, which is you. That is the peace of God that brings health The peace of God brings a release of prosperity and blessing. The peace of God releases favour. The peace of God is yours. Jesus once stood in a room of his disciples after having gone through the most unpeaceful experience imaginable. Death on a cross. Going to hell rescuing and yet when he appeared to his disciples in an upper room he didn't come sweaty and tired he didn't come exhausted from the battle or the cross he stood there with the calmness of heaven the shalom of God and said to his disciples shalom be with They didn't deserve it, but it was theirs anyway. They hadn't earned it, but it was theirs anyway. They didn't have a way of saying, that belongs to me, I need to get that because of what I've done. But they got it because of what God himself had done through his son. Now, by that Holy Spirit of God, his peace. God's peace falls upon you. Let there be peace in your health. Let there be peace in your family. Let there be peace in your workplace. Let let His peace be in your finances. Let His peace come and demolish the debts that you have. Let His peace come and restore relationships that you've had and are broken. 
Let his peace come and heal everything that was done to you that was wrong. Let his peace come and set you free from all the things that you have done wrong. Let his peace come and set you free from pride. Let his peace come and set you free from gossip. Let his peace come and set you free from arrogance. Let his peace come and set you free from moaning and complaining. Let his peace come and wipe away every tear and comfort all those who mourn. Relieve pressure for those weighed down. For this is God's peace. There is no other peace like this. It's not an absence of war. It's not we've won a battle. It's that Jesus has won the battle of battles. The victory of victories. He won our peace on a cross by going through the most unpeaceful thing imaginable. A painful and torturous death. The crucifixion. And he did this because he was someone that gave everything. Everything that he had, he gave. And because he was without blemish and without spot, it was a perfect sacrifice that made the way possible for humankind to be restored in relationship to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. May God fill you now and give you a knowledge and understanding of His peace of his peace Shalom I give to you Amen Hallelujah well please take a seat God wants you to know his peace God's story God's narrative is one long adventure from creation through all the ages of history. The Bible expands and shows and gives us insight to that narrative, that story of him coming into chaos and bringing peace. His peace. The first chaos he stepped into for once had nothing to do with us. It was in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And out of the chaos, out of the maelstrom, the Holy Spirit came and hovered and breathed. The Son, the Word of God, was there releasing the Word for creation. The Father was watching over it. Father, Son and Holy Spirit excited at the prospect of creation and where that was going when he got to the end of that series of creation where mankind, where humans, where men and women would be created to come and join that relationship, that community that the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit had. That they would no longer just be themselves, but that there would be an expanded group upon the earth that God himself would relate to and enjoy. This is why he said to Adam and Eve, go forth and multiply. He wanted multiplication of people across the planet because he wanted to extend the dance. He wanted to extend the community to all of humankind. 
So first he stepped in and he brought peace to creation. If you look into the stars and the planets and the galaxies, you see a wonderful, incredible, violent, peaceful harmony. There is violence in stars that are, are incredible nuclear explosions continuously happening. Power that we just can't even imagine. And yet, somehow, that massive explosion, like our own sun, lives in harmony with all the planets going around it. There is an order. There is a function. Even though there is such power. And then if you go from the enormous down to the ultra-small and go down to the microscopic, uh, microscopic uh, smaller than the atomic atoms that make us up, go down to electrons and neutrons and quarks and all the other stuff that uh, physicists love to talk about. You go right down into that and you find a wonderful, incredible order. And yet, still, the same energy. Nuclear energy. That if you pull those apart, will be explosive because of the energy of community. From the largest unimaginable to the smallest unimaginable, God's peace reigns. His peace is for you. His peace is for you to live in. Last uh, time I spoke, I talked of grace and how important it was to Paul for the Galatians to not step back into striving to obey legal minutiae. It wasn't that he didn't want people to be following the teachings of God, but he didn't want them to be restricted to the things that were cultural and unnecessary. Circumcision, particularly in this case, but also he addresses Jews and Gentiles having to eat separately because of previous regulations and saying, Jesus has demolished that. There is no Jew or Gentile or male or female or slave nor free. We are one in Christ. And so into that situation he speaks grace. And sometimes that can leave us with a feeling that the law is something bad. And perhaps because of our understanding of the law, it, it, that also flavours it. I mean, you may have had a few encounters with the law. Maybe you've had a speeding ticket. Or much worse, or a parking ticket, or maybe you've spent some time in jail for something that you did. Maybe you've been fined incredibly at one point. So our experience of the law is normally associated with the police. And we think of somebody who could come down on us at any moment for a bald tyre, or for speeding, or for doing something else. And so the law in our minds can have a kind of negative connotation. And yet for the Jewish people, it was incredibly precious. Why was this so? Let's find out. Because it's important for us. Because then we can know God's peace. You see, the law, the Torah, as they, were, they call it, the, 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 to call it the law is not a great translation, really. It was the teachings. It was our life experience. And it came from, of course, originally, the law was given by Moses. 
Now what was Moses doing? Moses was called by God to step into the chaotic mess of the lives of the Hebrews. To call them out of slavery, to call them out of Egypt, to call them out of living under injustice, to call them out of living under the dominion of the whip. But he didn't just call them out of Egypt, he called them into the teachings of God. He called them into the way of God's living. And they didn't see God's law as a, way, a set of rules and regulations that must be kept, otherwise God's going to be angry with you. They saw the Jewish view of the Torah was, this is what God has given us, this is how to continue in it. And that is similar to what we have really in grace. It's not that by following lots of rules we can experience God's grace. We have grace. And if we want to live in the grace, which is the favour of God that empowers us to live in the way he's called us, then we will follow the guidelines, the teachings that he's given us. Even though we are not under the law, we are free from the law, it is only there to enable us to live in that freedom. You know, we're still not to go around murdering people. Or dishonouring our parents. Or the very first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind. You shall have no other gods before me. That's still there. But the grace and the favour enables us to live in the experience of that. Rather than feeling like there is a restriction upon us, there is an enablement upon us to put God first. You see, when Jesus was questioned about these things, thou shalt not commit adultery, he didn't say, no, you don't need to worry about that, it's fine now. He said, even if you should look at a woman or a man lustfully, you are committing adultery. You see, under grace, the requirements become impossible. Because only under grace will you live in them. But as you live under grace, you will know his peace. Because Moses came to teach, to release God's law upon the people so that they could live in his peace. If you sit down and read Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you will read lots of cultural instructions for the people of the day. You will read much of what is the Torah, the law. And you say, well, what do I do with all this stuff? Well, first you come at it to remember that it was God in relationship to say, this is how to continue living in my freedom. The freedom that I have given you by rescuing you from Egypt. As Christians, we live post-Egypt. God stepped into our situation and rescued us by the blood of Jesus. And has placed us in a new place and says, this is how to live in my grace. But it doesn't mean that the law is of no use to us. That the Torah is just something that is of the past. If we really understood the Torah, we would value it as much as the Jewish people. Because we've been grafted in to the Jewish people anyway. Moses led the people out of Egypt and into a new life. A life of freedom. Ultimately, it would become too much for them and they would demand a king. They would lose the freedom that God had given them, the new community of equality and justice. You see, because 
There was nothing in existence before that said you must care for the vulnerable. The most vulnerable amongst those people at that time were the orphans, the widows and the foreigners. And God said to the Jewish people, and that this tenant has never been lifted, you must care for the foreigners in your country. You must care for the orphans in your country. You must care for the widows in your country. This was revolutionary that the weak, the poor and the vulnerable should be enshrined in the teachings of a nation. There's a little bit in the laws of Hammurabi that talks about there should be some justice for the poor, but nothing like this had been in existence before. Nothing said you must put the weak and the vulnerable as one of your priorities. This is an amazing thing, because of course, before you know the Lord, before him, you are one of the weak and the vulnerable. Who is the foreigner in our land? It is the literal foreigner, the man from... Estonia, the woman from Poland, the guy from Libya, whoever it is, the refugee from Syria, it's the foreigner amongst us, but it's also those who are not part of our community. Jesus, uh, the rich man, tried to get out of Jesus' requirement to love the neighbour. He wanted to restrict it. And basically Jesus said, it's everyone who's not you. Jesus and his peace comes into every situation. You see, the law was not replaced by Jesus. The law was fulfilled in Jesus. Because the law, the Torah, is there for freedom. Not all the minutiae of the regulations and the various things that were cultural, but the law. So when we look at the old, it's not like we don't need to bother with that anymore. It's what was God teaching his people in this so that we can live in the fullness of this? Jesus said, as I said of adultery, now in me it's not looking at others lustfully. He took it and fulfilled it. So it's always looking... So, a very obvious one is if it's in the Torah to care for the vulnerable, that's not been replaced. God always has a special heart for the weak and the vulnerable. And I stress that because I want to look at something that's really, really Old Testament. It's straight from the days of Moses. But that is the context. It's fulfillment we're looking for. It is, what is God saying to his people? What is God saying to us? Not so that we have to follow a bunch of rules, but so that we can live in his peace. You see, if you break the law, God's law, you will not be at peace. If Mike, this afternoon decides to rob a house because he wants their brand new 60-inch flat screen because it's really cool, and he steals it from that house, gets caught on their CCTV, the law will be coming round his house fairly quickly, and he will lose a certain amount of peace that he had before he stole that television set. 
So it is the same with God's law. When you break it, you lose your peace. But living to God's law is living to the fulfilment of what God has given us. And that can only be done by grace, which is why last time I spoke on grace. I am a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That new lives by grace. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's Galatians 2.20. It was at the end of what we looked at when I was last speaking here. So here's this Old Testament stuff, Deuteronomy 14. And this is actually answering requests. What I'm speaking today. Speak on that, will you? And then the God said, yes, speak on that, will you? Let me read some of this. Make an offering of 10%, a tithe of all the produce which grows in your fields year after year. Bring this into the presence of your God at the place he designates for worship, and there eat the tithe from your grain, wine, oil, and the firstborn from your herds and flocks. In this way, you will learn to live in deep reverence before God, your God, as long as you live. But if the place God, your God, designates for worship is too far away, and you can't carry your tithe that far, it's all these crops and animals, your God will still bless you. Exchange your tithe for money, and take the money to the place God, your God, has chosen to be worshipped. Use the money to buy anything you want. Cattle, sheep, wine or beer. Yeah, the Hebrew word literally means beer. It might say alcoholic drink or strong drink in your translation, but it does literally mean wine or beer. Anything that looks good to you. I'm liking this form of giving. You and your family can then feast in the presence of God, your God, and have a good time. Now, admittedly, that is the message, but if you read it in any other translation, you will see that's exactly what it says. Meanwhile, don't forget to take good care of the Levites who live in your towns, because they won't get any property or inheritance of their own, as you will. They weren't allowed to own fields. At the end of every third year, gather the tithe from all of your produce of that year and put it aside in storage. Keep it in reserve for the Levite who won't get any property or inheritance, as you will, and for the foreigner, the orphan and the widow who live in your neighbourhood. That way, they'll have plenty to eat, and God, your God, will bless you in all your work. Now, that is not replaced. It is fulfilled. So what does to fulfill it? Well, you look at what God is talking about. One of the things that leaps out to me, before you even go any farther, he's talking about a culture of generosity. He's talking about a culture of giving to one another. He's talking about a culture of community where you bring what you have, you eat together, and you drink wine and beer. That'll freak some people out. <laughs> He's, so the tithe, if you like, some people say it's the tithe for now. It's starting from the wrong place. It's starting from the policeman saying what you must do. And God is not saying, you must do. God is saying, this is what I've given you. This is how to live in the fullness of it. Live in a culture of generosity. The tithe is for the community. The tithe is to benefit the community. As you read through this passage and read through other passages and read through Leviticus, you will find that the tithe is there to give to God, but God immediately says, have it back and spend it on that community. 
Then he says the other people that you need to take care of are those who work at the temple. Those that work in the house of God, you need to make sure that they are fully supported. Because they don't have the resources that you have because they're spending the time doing that. You don't look for what it, you can't just say this is the law. You're looking, well, what would this mean today? We know that Paul, for example, in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, I think it is, um, he says that um, take once a week, put some money aside for the offering for when I come, because if you try and do a big offering when I come, basically he's saying, you won't be able to do it. So every day, on, every week on the first day of the week, which happens to be Sunday, put some money away for the offering. So that isn't this which is talking about once a year, but it is the fulfilment of that under grace, in the culture, in the era in which Paul is living. I mean, fortunately there, we don't only have to bring sheep, goats and, uh, and the produce of our fields along to the summit on a Sunday and leave it all here for someone to clear up the, that what's left behind saying, I've paid my tithe. Because even here, it does talk about you can exchange the tithe for money. Of course... That was the problem that Jesus was addressing at the temple when he was turning the tables over because the price that people were charging for the sacrifices so that they could pay their tithe had become astronomical. People were being ripped off by the system. Why was that so wrong? What made Jesus so angry? Because it was against this entire spirit of giving and generosity that that should be amongst us as God's people. We shouldn't even need to ask, do I have to pay the tithe? It's not a question. It's irrelevant. We're just a generous people. That was a minimal standard in the law. We no longer just commit adultery in the open. It's what goes on in our hearts. It's what's going on inside. The tithe is not about how much have I I calculated it to every minute item. It's a great guide and it's it's definitely one I follow and more. But it's not there just to do that. It's what goes on inside you. When you have your friends around, are you generous with what you provide? When we do things here, we try and do them to a, a standard of excellence, don't we, in everything we do. Because it's, excellence is, a, is, a, is, a, is very closely linked to generosity. To do something excellently is to do something generously. That's why we talk about these things so much. Because it's part of what it is to be part of God's community. The other third thing that, um, that the tithe is for, when you read about it in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and you will see it again and again and again and again, is it is for the poor. Uh, which are then usually currified as the foreigners, the widows, and the orphans. Which would have been the most vulnerable people in that community. God isn't saying for eternity, those are the only three people you help out, or the three groups of people, It's a picture, because he always talks in story and narrative. It's a picture of the most vulnerable in that community at that time. So if you want to fulfill that, we're looking at how we give in our daily lives to those who are most vulnerable. That's where this giving is aimed at. The tithe, which literally means the 10%. Are you still with me out there? Great. He explains more about the vulnerable and I love the way he actually says it because it's often missing now Deuteronomy 10, 18 he executes justice for the orphan the widow 
and the foreigner. Uh, sorry, he executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the foreigner by giving them food and clothing. You see, God's tithe is very, is very down to earth. It's not just about calculating your salary. It's about having a spirit of generosity. Deuteronomy 27, 19. The other way around. Cursed is he who distorts the justice due a foreigner, an orphan, or a widow. And all of the people shall say, Amen. I wonder if the church is really saying, Amen, when the poor, when the vulnerable, are treated unjustly. Because justice is a practical way of showing love. Have you ever been cheated out of anything? Did you feel, oh, that person really loves and cares for me? Whenever there's a lack of justice, it hurts. It's like, that's not right. Instinctively, from small children, it's not fair. A lack of justice does not show love. When justice comes, and in the small child's term, it will be in the, in the sense of being fair, they will feel loved. When you had justice, when something was restored to you, when somebody treated you justly and fairly or equally, you felt loved. Christians, we should be at the forefront of some, hear me carefully, of what we like to label political correctness. Who should be championing equal access for people who don't have legs to walk around on? The church. Who should be championing helping people who are unable to see well be able to have access to what they need to have access to? The church. Who should be championing trying to enable... And these things are a minefield of possibilities and, and, and injustice. But uh, of people who cannot hear well. We should. Because our God is a God of justice. And wanting people to have access to his provision. It's good, isn't it? Because we don't think about things like that. We're not just here to be spiritual. We're here to be the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he tells us, we are the light of the world. Not just to stand on a street corner saying, Jesus loves you. But to show people he loves them. To make a difference. And sometimes you do the wonderful works of people like those that work at the Rainbow Centre. Giving out clothing. Giving people help with money issues. Allowing them to have showers. That's a wonderful act of love. And then the church also needs to be behind changing the laws that allows those situations to arrive in the first place. Because that's what's going on here. Can you see how now we've gone so far beyond, do I have to tithe? It's not even a question. It's only a question if there is not a culture of generosity. Hallelujah. Now you see, it's in that... Oh no, here's one more. Um, No. Malachi. This is the context of Malachi. You can go and type these verses from chapter 3 on the internet and you'll find a furious discussion on whether it applies to us or not. It completely bypasses that we are a people of justice, fairness, love and generosity. And God is explaining his culture through Malachi here. So it cannot not apply to us. It does apply to us. Not from a sense of law, but from a sense of us living the way that Jesus showed us we should live. 
How much did he give? And if we're going to follow the way, he gave everything. Not 10%. As the bishop said at the royal wedding yesterday, he didn't get anything out of dying on the cross. He didn't get a doctorate. He just gave everything, said Bishop Michael. Great preaching of the gospel at a royal wedding. Do you know, I've read that, it, that, 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 that two to three billion people watched the royal wedding. That's nearly half the population of this planet. Heard him preach. And I, uh, I've never heard the, the, the presenters talk so much about a sermon before. It kept coming up again and again and again. Giving away that I might have watched it. But he had impact because he spoke with passion. The Archbishop of Canterbury was there, Justin Welby. Again, a, a believer came to the Lord through Alpha courses. And you could tell, just when he even spoke the, 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 the proper words, there was life there, wasn't there? It was so awesome to think we were sharing something with the entire world. <laughs> How many people will then go on to watch it afterwards? It's incredible. Well done, Bishop Michael Curry. Hallelujah. Who, who realised he'd gone over his time. That was, my, that was the funniest bit, wasn't it? <laughs> I better get this to an end because we've got to get you married. <laughs> Fabulous. Loved it. <laughs> Into this culture comes Malachi. And he's, he's questioning the people because they have left behind this culture of freedom that God has given to them through Moses. They're forgetting the things are not there to constrict them, but to give them freedom. It's like, if you want the freedom to drive, you need to know what side of the road your particular country designates is the correct side. If you spend your life in the UK driving on the right-hand side, you're not going to encounter much freedom. You're going to need to follow the laws of the road. But if you hop across the channel to those funny countries over there, they drive on the right side, which is the wrong side, because we drive on the left side, which is the right side. You can go to Japan. They've got it right on the left. <laughs> but, you ask, this is Malachi, how can we return to God when we've never gone away? You can hear that in the church today, can't you? We don't need to return to the Lord. We still go to church every Sunday. Well, says God, you can start by not cheating God. Oh, Malachi says it, I guess. You have cheated me, but you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. That's pretty strong language from the Lord. Remember, he's speaking into this culture we've just spoken about, of tithes and offerings. We do not live under tithes and offerings. We live under a culture of generosity, which is a fulfillment, which is greater than, which is more than. When, I talk, when, we, when we were praying for Kay earlier and when we talked about Alex, we were looking at how they are tithing their lives. See, tithe is just 10%. Offerings are over that. You can, uh, but you ask, what do you mean? We never cheated you. You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. God's not saying I've cursed you. He's saying you've walked away from everything that I laid out before you. Therefore, you will live under a curse. Giving and being generous is not there to make your life a misery. It is there to enable you to live in the peace of God. For if you sow generosity, you will reap generosity. If you sow apples, you will reap apples. If you sow oranges, you will reap oranges. If you will sow acorns, you will reap oak trees. 
The seed always determines what you get. If you sow complaining and moaning, you will find a life that is filled of complaining and moaning. If you you sow a life of pride, you will find other people's arrogance comes back to you. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there is enough food in the temple. If you do, says the Lord, if you do, if you live according to the way I've laid out for you, if you follow the way, the truth and the life, as we've mentioned here before, so many people miss the way. They'll tell you what the truth is. They want to experience the life. They forget Jesus said, I'm away. A way is something you follow. I will open up the windows of heaven for you. Now, does that sound good or does that sound good? You aren't going to get any rubbish from heaven. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. It's the only time, as far as I can remember, where God says that to any person. He says, test me then. Try this out. If you are generous, you will reap generosity. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. What? But you say, what do you mean? We've not said anything against you. You have said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands? Only to show the Lord, or by showing the Lord we've repented of our sins. Terrible things about me. God forgive me. Maybe you've never ever done that. I have. I bet you'll find you have if you think about it. Why do I bother with this Christianity stuff? Why do I bother relating to Christians? Why on earth do I run a house group? Why uh, why on earth do I go to the summit? Why on earth did I retire to serve the Lord? (laughs) The look on his face said, I wouldn't dare say that. It's a culture of generosity. I've nearly finished. Let me just jump into the New Testament. Because remember, I don't want us to get away from what I've really been trying to show you this morning is how to live in the peace of God. And the peace of God is to live in the fulfillment of what God has given. It's to live in his culture. And it goes counter to what you would think. And which is what that last verse there is. What is the use of serving God? If I give money away, if I give my time away, I will have less of it. But God's kingdom doesn't work like that. You will reap a harvest. I'm not talking about foolishness and just trying to twist God's arm into making something happen. That's a load of rubbish. Don't get into all of that stuff. Again, it's a culture of generosity. Who for? For the community. For those who work in the house of God and for the orphans, the, uh, the widows, and the foreigners. Bearing in mind that the foreigners is not just people that come from another land, but it certainly is that. It's that those that don't live in your community. Because here, God was talking to the Jewish people. So he's talking about all those who are not Jewish that live amongst you. So all those that live amongst us that are not part of the community of those who know Jesus Christ. So extra generosity to them. This isn't just writing a check for 10% and putting it in an offering. This is about 
uh, opening your house and having people around for coffees and teas. It's about going meal, having meals and sharing meals together. It's about running surf breakfasts, isn't it, Carl and Sue? Here's some New Testament things to finish. Matthew 6, Jesus speaking. But when you give money, let not your left hand see what your right hand does, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will give you your reward. Don't be ostentatious. People don't have to know. We had an amazing gift not long ago, didn't we, of £20,000. Most of you have no idea who gave it. That is a person who loves God. The thing is, if you make a show of giving, it's not that nobody else can find out. That's just getting into legalism then. It's just about not making a show of it. Because he also, in the same, uh, uh, same passage, uh, Jesus addresses the guy that's you know, making a big impressive show of prayer. It's not making a big impressive show in prayer to get everybody to think, oh, what, a, what an anointed prayer. Well, you just got your reward. Somebody saying, oh, what an anointed prayer. When you give, if you want to see the fullness of what God gives to you, don't make a show about it. Some people will know it's inevitable. But it's about not boasting, really, and being proud of it. Ananias and Sapphira tried that, if you know their story. Here's 1 Corinthians 16.2. I mentioned it earlier. On the first day of every week, you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. You can read on from there. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Now I say this. Now this I say. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows generously will reap generously. Each one must do just as he has in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's a really important thing. Don't give before because somebody's compelled you to. But neither use that as an excuse not to. It completely contradicts itself. You go around and around in circles on that one. If the compulsion has come because you in your heart are not being generous then it's not compulsion but conviction. So repent of your sin and give. If it's compulsion because the person has emotionally manipulated you into a place where you feel guilty so that you really ought to give, then don't give because you're under compulsion. How can you tell the difference? Conviction, if you do it, leads to freedom. Compulsion just feels like, I don't want to add to. We don't live weighed down by the law. We live standing on the law. We are in the freedom. And then when we give, give cheerfully. Don't give yourself into debt. There may be people here this morning and you, are, you live with a partner who is not a Christian and they don't want you to give. It might be that you just cannot give in that kind of a way. But you can still be a generous person with your time and your smiles. When we were students, I remember a friend of mine talking about giving. And students are the worst possible group to talk to about giving. 
even in my day, when compared to today's students, we were wealthy, man. <laughs> we, we just didn't realise it. And uh, it, it was a stupid example, really. Uh, but the students were reacting to this talk he'd been giving. Uh, my friend had been giving about giving and being generous, saying that they didn't have anything. So he just asked, how many people have bought uh, a Snickers bar this week? It's still called Marathon then, or a chocolate bar this week. Most of them put up their hands. He said, well, don't buy one next week and put that money in then. Start there. Because the main reason people don't give is a lack of generosity or a warning to feed the flesh. In this case, a chocolate bar. I mean, Snickers bars are hard to give up, aren't they? I know. <laughs> I have a big box full of them at home. We're given to me by my son and daughter-in-law as a present. Whole box, this sort of size, full of Snickers bars. I've been slowly working my way through it and slowly growing this way. I've got to leave it there, but please don't take away from this morning, I must pay 10%. I haven't said that. I've said, let us enter into Jesus' culture of justice and generosity. Let us sow generously so that we reap generously. Let us take great joy in how we give and not go around feeling miserable because we couldn't in that situation. If you feel miserable when you couldn't give, there's two things going on. It's either condemnation from the enemy or your own flesh making you feel bad, or there's a conviction coming from the Holy Spirit. How do you know the difference? One leaves you feeling rubbish, the other leaves you with knowing you need to make a decision. The Holy Spirit isn't interested in making you feel like a worm. Your flesh and the enemy is definitely interested in making you feel like a worm. The Holy Spirit just wants you to live in the freedom that Jesus has already won for you. So this morning has already all been about entering into that culture of peace, Sorry, that culture of justice and generosity so that we live in God's peace. Because we serve the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace. We walk with the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Amen. So we're going to finish, but we're going to finish uh, with the worship team up there. Because, as I said, we'll leave the offering to the end. I haven't done that to manipulate you I've done that because I knew people would want to respond to the word let's stand let's rejoice let's sow whatever you give don't give under compulsion give as a cheerful giver hallelujah thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast we trust it's been an encouragement to you for more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire Thank you.